so uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood continues to uh, do very well this summer. Yep, yep, yep. We're, we're very excited about that. You, you know what? I'm excited about it, and, and I, you know, you, I knew it would do okay. Surprised about how well that Lion King is doing. Yeah, that's a, that's a little surprised. You know, I Disney, mean, Disney, Disney has. I, I'm, I'm more surprised at how uh, Aladdin did. I didn't, yeah, I, I, even Aladdin, that. Yeah, Aladdin just. You know, Disney is expected to make over eight billion dollars this year worldwide with their movies. That is just nuts. Well, you know, and, it's and only I, a handful of movies. Yeah, and and uh, and, and the, you know, a couple of lost leaders there. Dumbo, not so much. Yeah, uh, in terms of these, yeah. you know, the, the, the animation to live action sort of things that they True. did. So I, I guess that's just that's the calculation. It's just you know, you know, this one will pay for the other three, I four, mean, five. Three, to, you know, three three billion of that, almost three Marvel billion, and, is 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 uh, Avengers Endgame. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's yeah, but, and that's just from the movie business. All of that becomes no, merchandising. No, I know, and that's know. where the real money is, anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you were down in Disneyland what, a couple, oh, two, yeah. couple of two, three weeks ago. Or yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's uncanny, and it's really interesting too at Disneyland right now because you know they they got rid of a Bugs Land, mm-hmm. which was all kind of Bugs Life inspired uh, attractions for kids, mm. all very skewed, very very young. Um, which makes me sad to see that go because there, there was nowhere else really at Disneyland for for little for kids. little kids yeah. for little kids those those rides were all really good for little kids uh, and it was a fun thing but you know I guess that movie has run its course and its its awareness has evaporated and they they started with the Guardians of the Galaxy ride when they transformed the Tower of Terror mm-hmm. that was sort of the beginning of nudging that whole adjacent area into being Marvel themed it's all walled off now and they're building stuff there yeah. And it's going to be Marvel themed uh, when it finally comes off. Uh, yeah. By the by, the way, Galaxy's Edge, the Star Wars thing. Mm-hmm. Let me talk about that just for a moment. So there's another attraction that's going to be opening. There's there, there's only one ride right now, which is the Smuggler's Run, the uh, the Millennium Falcon ride. Another ride is going to be opening shortly later this year. Uh, but otherwise, it's pretty much there's really not much going on in Galaxy's Edge other than uh, it feels like you're in some part of the Star Wars universe, you're on a planet, and there are characters walking around, and you can do some smartphone games, and you can look for things. It's all, I mean, it's very nerd-oriented. It's all art direction. It's, mm-hmm. you know, there's like the Ark of the Covenant is hidden somewhere, if you want to look for it, right? It's just, gi- there's, there's, uh. the whole, it's just a giant Easter egg hunt, is what it is. You're just looking for nerdy Lucasfilm Easter eggs everywhere. Yeah. And they got like colored milk and stuff. And yeah, okay, once you sort of get the vibe um, if you don't want to wait in line for the one ride for 80 minutes, you, you you say, okay, I've been here. It's cool. Looks fine. I just got harassed by a couple of stormtroopers, which I did. They go out of their way to push you, by the way. <laughs> they do. They, yeah, they don't just walk straight through. I was I was literally on the side. I looked behind. They were walking away from me. And next thing I know, a second later, they're right on my tail pushing me out of our way. Like they, they look for people who are not paying attention to them so they can harass you. Uh, it was very I wonder fun. how long that's gonna last. <laughs> yeah, until they, until they harass some guy from Philly who turns <laughs> around and like, clocks hey, them. I'm a stormtrooper too. <laughs> 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 that's uh, for fifteen bucks an hour, I think yeah. I, I think the mandatory minimum wage is going to be like fifteen bucks an hour. <laughs> yeah. Fifteen bucks an hour, I'm not getting my ass kicked in the stormtrooper costume. That's true. That's, That's true. Not happen. Oh, saw Chewbacca there too. He goes up and stands next to an X-wing and goes, yeah. and then people take photos and it's, it's, it's just so, it's just so weird. It is weird. to have all of that branding in that Disney 
true. theme park. You yeah. know, where you know, Mickey Mouse and yeah. Minnie and you know, and the yeah. center and all that kind of stuff. And now, and I, and you know, we've been looking at it for a few years now, and they knew it would eventually sort of yeah. make its way into the culture. But in my mind, in my personal culture, yeah. these things do not occupy the same spaces. <laughs> do not. They just don't. No, and they and don't. for Hero, they always will have more or less. Yeah. I mean, more or less. She didn't really enjoy Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. Not her oh, thing. Yeah. No, she was not into it. She 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 went. She wanted to go back to Fantasyland. She said. She said, "Mommy's gonna make us stay here all day. I don't <laughs> like it here. I don't <laughs> like it here." Uh, so we didn't. Seen. We didn't stay for too long. Anyway, well, let's let's get right into it. Uh, last week, let off had some had some anime we were going to get to, and uh, let me let me plow into that right now because the this is one of the few areas you know DVDs and Blu-rays con- continue to kind of um, uh, not disappear, but it's it it's it's very much focused now on niche you know Criterion and Kino. We got a lot of Kino this week, and they the audiences that are dedicated to Blu-ray are the ones that uh, that remain. And boy, I'll tell you, anime people are among those, and there's a lot of great anime that just continues to come out, thanks to uh, a lot of these companies, one of whom is Section 23, which releases primarily uh, Sente, Made in Japan, a few other labels, a few other libraries. Uh, this is one I was unaware of, and I, I actually quite like. Complete Collection from Made in Japan, which is sometimes edgier stuff, uh, on Section 23 on Blu-ray is uh, BPS, Battle Programmer Shirazi. Mm. Uh, so th- this is what's interesting, is this is uh, all about a uh, computer programmer and who is particularly adept at hacking and um, figuring out all the little dark uh, recesses of the Internet and going where you, where you shouldn't necessarily be and, and figuring things out. And uh, the adventure of being a programmer who has all of these skills and what that opens up, really of some very interesting commentary here. Uh, I thought it was uh, respectably animated, not, not brilliantly, but really quite interestingly written more than anything else. And that is BPS, Battle Programmer Shiraza. That's worth a, that's worth a, a gander or two. Um, really, really interesting art, uh, artwork, uh, very, very nicely put together is uh, Love Stage, the complete collection, which includes the OVA uh, material that, uh, that was on n- never on television. This also includes an English dub with English voice actor commentaries, which is, I guess, okay. Um, the animation is great. The story is a little kind of soapy. Um, uh, this is, you know, not... It's not supernatural or anything. Uh, it, it's just uh, about an, you know, the it's about show business. It's about being an actor, uh, about coming from an actor's family, and um, falling in love. And you know, it's very soap opera ish. Uh, so, as well animated as it is, <coughs> excuse me, not sure that I really get into the into the story of it, but. It's really, uh, you know, you, this they, they, the, the animators for this show take a lot of time to really uh, address details that some animation anime companies are just kind of gloss over. Uh, we've talked about Galaxy Angel A before, the uh, you know superhero-y girls with the colored hair and the big eyes, and uh, you know they're they're cute. It's the the, the Angel Brigade here has officially uh, dissolved, and. Um, so it's like getting the how do you get the band back together again basically um it's cute it's you know sci-fi-ish uh the costuming and the artwork is fine 
Uh, it's kind of fetishistic, but you know, it has a following. That's Galaxy Angel A, um, in, in, in which this is, I guess, a second season. But anyway, uh, then we also got Cutie Honey Universe. That tells you everything. That's like if Galaxy Angel A were more well endowed and uh, <laughs> were more grown up. Um, basically, it's like you know, Spice Girls, right? Yeah. It's kind of Spice Girls as as uh, as go go dancing yeah. superheroes or some such thing. Anyway, these are the girls from Saint Chapel Academy, and uh, they are um, oh, I'd say I would like to get to know these girls if I were a lot younger. Uh, a lot of fun. It, it's it's uh, it's sci-fi ish. It's uh, there's a whole android element to this, which uh, has some interesting twists and turns as it goes along. And um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's a cool show. Cutie Honey Universe. I give them props just for naming it that. Uh, Armored Trooper Votums. We've talked about this recently too. This is uh, the uh, with plus OVA. This is collection number two. Uh, one of the more interesting mecha series in recent years. Uh, this continues exactly where the uh, the previous one left off. Very very good animation. Some very very cool uh, mecha designs. We've also got uh, on Sente those who hunt elves. This is about three people who are transported to a, uh, a a world where there are only elves and other weird creatures. It's like if you suddenly find yourself in Middle Earth or something, some kind of thing, and uh, need to try and get back. I compare it maybe a little bit to Land of the Giants, mm. the Irwin Allen thing, right? It has that kind of feel to it a little bit. Um, it's not perfect. It's, uh, you know, a little bit risque, a little bit weird, uh, a little bit on the edge. Some of the jokes don't quite pan out. Um, but there's some, there's some interesting aspects to it. So it's, you know, for, for fringy anime, it's one of the, one of the better ones I've seen in a while. Uh, this is two seasons, 24 episodes, Those Who Hunt Elves. Uh, and then some Funimation stuff. Funimation always seems to get the, the, the really top tier stuff. I'll try to go through this pretty quickly so we can get to some old movies. We've got some old classics, a lot of great classics. Uh, if you're looking to beef up the collection, man, it's a great week for that. So uh, Chio's School Road, the complete series. Um, here we go again. It, you know, things that go on in Japanese high schools. So this, <laughs> honestly, it's just like, it's amazing. It's always school politics, so much of that. Um, so uh, this is all about a, a girl who is um, trying to cope with school by being, oh, let's just say she's tough. She's learned, she's learned tools to cope with the rougher aspects of school that other kids don't have. Um, it's okay. Darling in the Franks, part two. Uh, this continues to be really, really interesting. Great, uh, great kind of genre spy thing. It's like, it's like, I don't even know how to describe this. Uh, Darling in the Franks. It's just, it's just, it's, it's really cool. It just, it's just super cool. It has, it has a 60s spy vibe mixed with like a monster vibe. It's, it's very, very Japanese. It's really cool. Uh, Eden of the East, the complete series box set, part of the Essentials line. Um, really interesting kind of a thriller premise to Eden of the East. Uh, it's all about a uh, character who suddenly finds themselves naked outside the White House and unable to remember anything that led up to that. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Right, isn't that the worst? And then obviously you gotta gotta you know save the 
figure out you know the mystery, fill in all the blanks. Well, you got to put your pants on. Got to put gotta, your pants. I got to yeah. solve the mystery. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Going to be Twin Tail, the complete series, also from the Essentials line. More high school politics. Uh, only this one, it, it it's supernatural and deals with monsters and and human monster hybrids and you know stuff that uh, uh, you know things that we all have to deal with once in a while. It's really a hassle. Can't stand it when that all happens. Uh, Tokyo Ghoul Ray Part 1. That's Ghoul colon R-E. Tokyo Ghoul Ray Part 1. One of those interesting titles. One of, some of the better animation that uh, goes on right now in anime. Uh, this is, a, this is um, kind of like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. Uh, a little bit of um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. crossed with maybe Men in Black. Has uh, has that kind of you know you're you're it's about people who use supernatural monster powers to uh, basic basically preserve peace on the earth and defend against uh, you know whatever might threaten it. Um, some very interesting animation, good writing. Yurik Kuma Arashi, the complete series. Um, this is that dumb thing about you know where people share the world with bears. It's very weird. <laughs> and it, it really is. It's 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 very unusual. It doesn't really work for me, but it's popular. It has a following. Has kind of a cult following. So knock yourselves out, people. Uh, the two best titles from Funimation this week are My Hero Academia season three part one, the uh, special edition. That is a a very very popular show. Comes with in, in a really really cool set, which has you know it, it's a great box set, it's a collector's box set with a sixty page book and some acrylic uh, uh, collectibles in it, a keychain, trading cards. Uh, you know it, it's they they really go to go to town with that. Uh, My Hero Academia has all kinds of followings in Japan. I guess it has a real big following here. And uh, Rage of Bahamut Genesis, the complete series that is from the Essentials line. And this is just a wonderful, wonderful world that they created, the, a, a wonderful, mythical kind of um, Joseph Campbell-like uh, heroic odyssey, uh, Rage of Bahamut, B-A-H-A-M-U-T. That continues to be one of the better things on, uh, on anime. And uh, let's see. The, uh, la- I'll save some of these others for maybe the end of the show. Lucky Star, we've talked about before, complete series in OVA. This is also from the Essentials line, out again. This is kind of self-reflexive anime about a, uh, a a huge, huge anime fan who loves playing online games, and she's she's just she's she's into anime as much as the people who are probably watching her in this. So this is all kind of self-reflexive anime stuff, and um, and I think I'll save the rest for uh, for later later on in the show. I'll, I'll hold on. Let, let's get into the uh, the classic. Uh, uh, classic stuff. I'll do th- I'll do some of the Criterion stuff. Uh, yeah. Or off the just just right off the top. Uh, we were just talking about this angel at my table, Jane Campion film. Um, uh, an- uh, this this was just uh, this was just a period in filmmaking. Well, the Aussies had been there for a while. The Aussies the Aussies came up in the in the early seventies, of course, George Miller and all those folks. <laughs> but by the eighties, um, they were doing some of the most significant. The piano, also Jane. Uh, a sweetie, yeah. also Jane. Yeah, uh, and she just had portrait that, of a lady. Yeah, yeah, portrait of a lady. And just that, that beautiful, beautiful run of movies. Now we were talking about. I was looking at this Angel at My Table, nineteen ninety, uh, an absolutely beautiful movie, uh, as all Jane's movies were yeah. about this odd character. And we were asking ourselves, where the hell is Jane? Jane's making television is where Jane is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, this this consummate filmmaker, cinema maker, 
you make your bones, you make your money in television nowadays, man. I have, I have, I have a great deal of affection for this movie uh, because when I started watching this movie, uh, I, uh, I, I, I was a single guy. Mm. When, when the movie was over, I, uh, my wife and I were officially a couple. <laughs> that's, 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 that's why this, that's why this movie is very special. From this movie, this movie got that you. That movie. Oh, yeah. a, a, a beautiful movie. Uh, of course, this is a Criterion Collection film, 1990. Beautiful, beautiful movie. All kinds of special features on here. Director approved Blu-ray special edition uh, features all over this thing. Um, look, what can I tell you? It's um, it's just one of the best films of that that ten year or so period coming out of Australia. These sort of dramatic films that were being made. Funny thing about all those Jane Campion films that we just mentioned. Not sure a single one of them could be made today. Maybe the piano. Uh, with with, with the, the, the stature of that particular cat, Holly Hunter, obviously, yeah. Harvey Keitel. Maybe the piano, but I'm not sure a single one of these films would be greenlit by a studio today, man. Probably true. Uh, and that just scares me to, the, to my bones. Anyway, uh, James' film. Uh, likewise, and this isn't a particularly great film, although it's an interesting film, 1984, Michael Radford's film, 1984, based, of course, on the Orwell, uh, which he famously made in 1983 to be released in 1984 and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting. Um, uh, more interesting, uh, Roger Deakins, the cinematographer here, I think it's some of Burton's best work. I agree. Just in terms of... Yeah. Performance. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, not, a, not a fantastic film, this, but there it, are some performances here that are extraordinary. It, it Hurt and Burton are great in it. Yeah. Um, uh, it. It drags a little bit. Michael Radford is, is, doesn't quite keep the... I mean, it, it really... It, it's very l just languid at, po at certain points, But so it's not a really exciting film, but it punctuates things from the novel in ways that the other, the earlier 1984 did not. Yeah, with Hugh Watson yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Susanna Hamilton here, Roger Deakins is the cinematographer. There's that whole wacky thing that went on with the soundtrack and the score. We got replaced and uh, all of that is covered here. Again, director of Blu-ray Blue special edition. All kinds of wonderful special features on this uh, 4K digital restoration, uh, which Roger oversaw himself. New interviews with Michael Radford and Roger Deakins. Uh, unfortunately, most of the folks, uh, most of the principals of this film are no longer with us. Sad. Yeah, you know, really uh, Bird's been gone a while. John, yeah. John, a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. Uh, it's a good-looking box too, by the way. You know, uh, I appreciate that film. Uh, let's pop over to do the right thing, brother, brother, brother. Yeah. Again, sensational, uh, set. A sensational film, a fantastic movie. What? First of all, 1989, which I have a hard time accepting. It's just this, it, it, this 30th and, anniversary. This and Driving Miss Daisy came out. A lot of the little movie that I'm making, Miss yeah. Daisy, uh, is, yeah. is reference to Do the Right Thing and Driving Miss Daisy because they yeah. both came out the same year. Uh, uh, Spike got nominated for what? Writer. Yeah, screenplay for screenplay for this. Yeah. Driving Miss Daisy got nominated for best picture. Ultimately, one best yeah. picture. Uh, an odd sort of juxtaposition of things. Uh, if that film had been released, see there, was, see, see that gets into some interesting history because there are these years, these pivotal changing of the guard years with the Academy Awards, where you can tell that the demographics of the of the Academy membership have changed. Yeah, and there is there are years where it's very clear that that's done, and it's and it's not even necessarily an organic thing. There are moments, and we're in the middle of one right now, where mm -hmm. the Academy says. We need to mix it up with the membership. The membership is not, you know, representative of what we think it of should the, be. Of the movie going public, relatively speaking. Yeah, you, you, you want people who represent the cream of the, of the movie-making crop. Yeah. And, and there have been these times over the years where they suddenly go, there are an awful lot of uh, 
of of uh, publicists and executives mm-hmm. and people who are voting Academy members who they're offsetting the actual filmmakers mm-hmm. and members at large, and we need to kind of mix it up. And so uh, Gregory Peck, when he was the Academy president in the early 70s, did that. Yeah. And uh, late 60s, early 70s, and the result is you get suddenly movies like, uh, you know, you go from Oliver winning Best Picture to suddenly Midnight Cowboy winning yeah. Best Picture. Yeah. That's a big shift. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's because there were different people voting. More, more people, people and different kinds of people. And another one of those shifts was when you go from uh, 1990, Dances with Wolves, to 1991, uh, 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 Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs, yeah. That's a, Demi. That's a big, that's a, that's a total, got Dances with Wolves is a total traditional Oscar yeah. movie, just like John Ford's Daisy film, was. Anything, yeah. By 1991, there's a younger demo. These people. Are are giving Silence of the Lambs best picture? That would Silence of the Lambs would not have won best picture in 1989. Yeah, yeah, two years earlier. And Do the Right Thing had it been released two years later in 91 would be the best. Would have been nominated. Would have at least been nominated and might have won. And 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 might possibly have won. And that's how different that that moment was in those two years. And it's an interesting thing. So you look at a movie like 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 Do the Right Thing. This movie starred uh, Danny Aiello. Uh, Ruby D, Ozzie Davis, Richard Edson, Giancarlo Esposito. Now, the, the the biggest movie star in this movie is Ozzie Davis. Crazy, right? You know, Danny Aiello had been a stuntman. Yeah. Uh, and and certainly he had been here and been there, but I'm talking yeah. about a movie star. Yeah. There are no movie stars in this movie. Sam Jackson standing over in the corner, no, not a movie star no. yet. None of these people are movie stars. These people look like the community they're from. And the Ro- only Ro- the, Rosie Perez, no. Rosie Perez, not a movie star. You know, no. and so the biggest movie star in this movie is Ozzie Davis and Ruby D in Ruby D. Crazy. Had been the only real studio, been in studio yeah. pictures, movie stars, and they were they were 150 years old in 1989. Yeah. So could Spike Lee, young director, original material, wrote the script. Yeah. No IP here. Yeah. Did he make this movie today? No. Not a chance. No. Not a chance. This is not a theatrically makeable, releasable film no. today, man. I just, you know, this irks me to, 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 to no end. Anyway, this is a fantastic box uh, full of all kinds of things. Again, director approved, uh, two Blu-ray special edition, all kinds of special features, 5.1 stereo surround on the 4K digital restoration. But buy it and watch it because you don't make these anymore. You know? Yeah. I mean, I did, but other than that. Uh, 10 North, 10 North Frederick, which is a neat uh, a really neat film. Now we're into the Twilight Time movies over here. Uh, Philip Dunn uh, directing and writing this film. I forgot that Philip Dunn was such a good writer. Yeah. Good, good director, but really I forgotten good. that he was such a good writer. Yeah. Gary Cooper, Diane Varsity, Susie, Susie Parker. Again, interesting theme of this movie. A lawyer. He's married to Geraldine Fitzgerald. She's a bit of a shrew and sort of forces him into politics. And he takes up this relationship with this much, much younger woman played by Susie Parker. Now, this is interesting if you know anything about Gary Cooper's life mm. uh, and the dynamic of yeah, him. Yeah, for like sure. This is really, really interesting, which, of course, was all coming to a head just about the time that he was making this movie in 1958. Um, staunch Catholics, those folks, didn't believe in divorce. Uh, nevertheless, this is a beautiful uh, film, beautifully uh, written, uh, black and white photography, um, and uh, poignant and very, very sophisticated. 1958, this movie about a, sometimes the sophistication, when we, in, in terms of strictly sophistication, when we look at the stuff that they were doing in the middle 50s, eh, maybe late 50s, certainly through the 60s, on up to the 80s, I think there's just a much more sophisticated uh, string of films being made during that. Five Bob Rafelson and all the stuff. You carnal, yep. carnal knowledge is five easy pieces. Obviously, uh, Last Tango in Pair. I mean, you could just you go through all of these movies, and in my head, when I click them off, 
most of them could not be made today. Uh, which is a little bit strange to think about. Um, uh, uh, Fred Zinnemann, working with Emmerich Pressburger here in a Gregory Peck film, another sort of interesting guy yeah. uh, <laughs> with that sort of situation, uh, um, uh, Behold, Behold a Pell Horse, uh, uh, based on the novel, too, of course. And again, uh, this is a, a set right after the, uh, Spanish, uh, the Spanish Civil War in the late 30s, Omar Sharif. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just a, a wonderful movie about these old soldiers and uh, guerrilla fighters uh, doing that period. This, the reason why you couldn't make this movie today, though, is very simple. No one remembers the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. In 1936, 1939, uh, folks. No one even remembers that I there know. was a Spanish Civil War. And most of Europe is shaped the way it's shaped now yeah. because of what happened during the Spanish Civil War. Which which dovetails with World War II in a really yeah. interesting way, too. Yeah. Franco and Hitler, Hitler had, a, and all, had, yeah, a, had yeah. a relationship. Yeah, you know, if this if this goes the other way, then yeah. then, then, then yeah. that's, a, that's a whole different scene over there, man. But yeah. nobody even, even remembers that. I know. War. Do you remember the chairman? Vaguely. Really I, vaguely, when that when that came up, that I was like, oh, now I remember. Yeah, you know, doing the, the the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Yeah, it's a it's a it, it, that that's a, that's another movie that kind of disappeared from yeah. uh, from the 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 map very quickly, and I'm not quite sure why. Yeah, yeah, it was the the, the final film uh, to, between uh, J. Lee Thompson and, and, yeah. and Peck again here, uh, 1962. Uh, it's you know again uh, a film that is very sophisticated about the politics of the day, really central politics of the day. Can you imagine someone making a film today about the internal politics of say the Kim right regime no. in in North Korea and with a movie star and all kind no. of last closest? I'm trying to think of the last one that came close, maybe. Oh, ma- well, Denzel did that uh, remake of uh, Manchurian Candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scorsese, and this is now, now we're going way back. Had uh, had Richard Gere in that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Red uh, Corner, right? Uh, that's got to be. Tw- that's kind of it. Oh man, oh, man, yeah. man, it's a weird thing. I hate that this is under the classics, but damn it, I'm just going to deal with it. The Doors, yeah, Oliver Stone on 4K. On 4K, I uh, will say this: it doesn't. The, what you get out of the 4K on this is audio. The oh. audio, it it, it's, it 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 really just cranks. Yeah, <laughs> it really cranks. If you have a system, put it on and upset the neighbors. Yeah, look, it's a 1991 film, uh, which takes place mostly in the early 70s. Uh, yeah. Val Kilmer when he was still gorgeous, Meg, uh, Meg Ryan when she was still gorgeous. And George <laughs> yeah, I, 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 all of that's fine. Here's the deal, because I, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Never did yeah. like this movie. I didn't either. Never did like this movie. I didn't either. Uh, so you know, other than other than Morrison, I... Morrison played a really great. The, the women in this movie are just completely over. Look, Meg Ryan's just giving nothing to do but follow him around. And I just ne- this is the final cut, it's, by the way. It's this also is the, got uh, that whole uh, Indian hallucination the, thing. That, that's yeah, just like, you know, that's what? Oliver Stone just really going overboard. Yeah, you know, we, we get it, uh, Oliver. Uh, theatrical cut is also included in this. The final director's yeah. cut. Yeah. All right, I'll hit a, hit a few more anime here. I'll just uh, finish off the Funimation titles. Um, so, Makin Ki, complete season two from the Essentials line. Uh, the Makin Ki is a is a is a weird show. It's a it's a tough show to dis- describe. It's about a um, it's about a private school again, school politics. It's about a private school where, that is specifically for uh, kids who um, have supernatural abilities and control these uh, who the, the weapons that they 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 are able to control are called Machins. And uh, so it's a little bit of a Harry Potter deal, which a lot of these anime school things are when they introduce the the supernatural element. 
Um, but this one, this gets a little bit darker and kind of has some spy elements, has some it's kind of sadistic stuff going on that's very anime specific. Um, it's it's okay, not my uh, not not my favorite of any of these. Um, but here's some other stuff. Here's some other even better stuff. Guilty Crown, the complete series of Guilty Crown, is bonkers. This thing is totally bonkers. So you've got this. Um, you 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 you've got these. Uh, oh boy, how do you even get this started? So uh, an asteroid unleashes a virus when it hits Japan. They always hit Japan. Poor Japan. They get Godzilla and everything else. It always starts. But an asteroid uh, hits Japan, releases a virus, and then there's, uh, years later, there's this guy with, uh, well, there's a couple of teenagers who um, have to somehow fight the virus and everything else that's exploding. The whole world is going nuts. It, it, it's, it's bonkers. There's just no way to do justice to it. Uh, Jormungand, the complete series, seasons one and two. This is really cool. This is about a child soldier looking for revenge against the um, the people that uh, uh, that uh, killed his parents, and it deals with international arms trade and the whole child soldier thing. It's actually uh, very very compelling, mm. very adult, very grown up. This is also from the Essentials line. Uh, the Junjo Ito collection, the complete series, is basically you know legendary horror uh, figure Junjo Ito's crazy imagination all kind of distilled into anime uh, from Junji Ito's Masterpiece Collection and Fragments of Horror. It, it's Anime is not that horrific looking. It's very hard to make it uh, to do horror in animation, but this makes a pretty good, takes a pretty good stab at it. Uh, Katana Maidens, Toji no Miko Part 2 continues the story of these two amazing women, the uh, Shrine Maidens, uh, who now have to... Uh, enter this competition and uh, which winds up putting them at odds with this giant crime family. Uh, and then there's also Kamisama Kiss season two from the Essentials line. These are those those cute uh, kind of um, spirit creatures that look like women with uh, their cross with animals. Um, a little bit, little bit convoluted in terms of the world it creates and the adventures that it spins. It doesn't really capture you the way that the that some of these others do. But for people who like season one, there's season two, and uh, then the beginning of a really, really interesting series called Kakurio: Bed and Breakfast for Spirits, season one, part one, uh, which is uh, which is a, a, another one of these deals where a person is swept into. A world that they never expected to enter the the uh, the fish out of water thing, the Alice in Wonderland thing, and um, this is particularly clever. It's really uh, it's really really very worked out, and um, you have to kind of pay attention. I I don't pay attention terribly well when these things are on, but I I kind of sorted to follow this, and uh, this all centers around a particular bed and breakfast. Um, that is central to a the paying back of a debt. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. But uh, it's a, it's an interesting interesting narrative. It's 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 constructed very cleverly. Kakuriyo Bed and Breakfast for Spirits Season One Part One. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing where that goes. I may may pay closer attention next time. Uh, all right, let's uh, get into the rest of our uh, classics here. Uh, um, I'll knock off a few of these. Yeah, uh, I'll do that. Uh, from Studio Canal and from Scream and uh, Scream Factory and, 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 and whatnot. Uh, Lust, 
for a vampire. These movies are just a lot of fun, relatively speaking. Um, uh, not that they're particularly good, uh, but they are fun. Lust for a Vampire, 1971 film. This is during that period. Uh, this is during that picture. Yeah, a lot of Giallo, but a lot of other kinds of films uh, roaming around the thought of psychedelic vampire territory. Uh, this particular movie uh, um, uh, has uh, it has this guy who performs this sort of uh, black magic ritual, brings back this young, beautiful, blonde vampire who, of course, immediately enrolls herself into a uh, exclusive school for debutantes. Why? Because she likes to eat hot young chicks. <laughs> and then in the late 70s, uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, that was a cool thing. <laughs> we like to, we would love to see that. And the town kind of goes bananas and has to figure out how to stop this vampire uh, from eating up all their hot young girls. 4K scan here really does, in fact, look good. And an audio commentary uh, from a film historian Bruce, Bruce Hallenbach. Uh, in an interview with actress, one of the principal actresses in the movie, Mel Churcher. And actually, this just looks good. It's just a good-looking movie. So uh, uh, wonderful horror classic. Uh, putting out, coming out along with, if I am not mistaken, that box. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, the Reptile. The dreaded curse of the Orango Santo turned her into a slithering snake. The makeup, I remember... And this movie being absolutely fantastic, uh, yeah, 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 one, a woman gets turned into a, uh, to a snake, um, and the makeup was just chilling in this film. This is full of all kinds of wonderful special features as well, uh, and it's it presented in two different aspect ratios. The original release aspect ratio was 166. It also comes to you, I mean one, 185, it also comes to you in 166, uh, with a new audio commentary from a couple of Film historians, and you know, this is just another one of those fun films uh, from that period. So you got Lust for a Vampire and uh, The Reptile there. Uh, and then we have the Quartermass films. We have two of the Quartermass films, anyway. I think there were three Quartermass films, if I'm not mistaken. Might be. I lose uh, track. Uh, but Quartermass, we have Quartermass 2 and Quartermass The Pit um, here, uh, which I, I think were adapted from a, from, a, from a popular British television series, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, and, and it's, and it's, and it's Quatermass. I always called it Quatermass. I don't know. I could, I'd see an R. Yeah, it's all actually there. But it's Quatermass. And nevertheless, he's this, uh, Britain's most famous scientist, and, and, uh, they're digging, uh, a new subway tunnel in London, and they run into something that turns out to be these aliens and this gigantic set of metal eggs. I remember this simply being an absolutely fascinating, this is 1950. Oh, I guess the first one was probably about 55. Uh, Quartermass 2 is 57. Uh, Quartermass to Pit is uh, like 10 years later, like 1967, which is a lot. Then they, they, and I, they did a sort of contemporary version in the late 70s that I remember watching, too. I, I enjoyed these films. The narratives were always a whole lot of fun. Um, the stories were by Nigel Neal. Uh, and it's just a, you know, a really, really neat series of films, uh, kind of Doctor Who-y in a particular kind of way. Uh, from the Hammer Film Cult Classics series. All kinds of special features, once again, including audio commentaries, 2K scans of uh, res uh, restored negatives, good stuff, Quartermass, but it's only two of them here, Quartermass 2, and there are three, I looked it up. There's Quartermass, Quartermass yeah. 2, and Quartermass the Pit. Man. <laughs> All right, going to hit some Kino now, and uh, man, what an amazing month for Kino stuff. Uh, really, seriously. So the first one here... Uh, is both a, a I have a very personal connection to this, and this is uh, both encouraging and a little bit disappointing. So um, I will spin the story here. The movie is Grace Quigley mm. uh, from 1985, starring Catherine Hepburn and Nick Nolte. It is a, a euthanasia story. Uh, if, for those who don't remember this, this was one of the first attempts at a serious film that the canon people did, Yoram Globus and Nakam Golan. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a drama, it's a comedy, 
Uh, it's basically about a, um, a an elderly woman, Grace Quigley, played by Catherine Hepburn, who wants to uh, end her life. And uh, Nick Nolte is the kind of unconventional hitman that uh, she wants to um, recruit to basically help her do the horrible, ugly deed. And um, it is it is quirky, it is unconventional, and it is also an unfortunately poorly put together movie. Yeah, not because it didn't have potential. Here's the story. This film was written by uh, Martin Zweibach. Martin Zweibach was a very, very dear friend of mine uh, until he passed just four years ago. Yeah. And uh, Martin is uh, really quite the, quite the remarkable journeyman screenwriter. Started as a, as a staff writer on Kung Fu, wrote some of the highest-rated episodes of Kung Fu, made some really great independent films, uh, one of which he directed as well. And uh, the story of Grace Quigley is an extraordinary one. I met Martin at the Cannes Film Festival in 1992. And um, he, what M- Martin... Uh, was able to get Catherine. He made got this film made because he threw his script over Catherine Hepburn's fence, <laughs> and she wound up reading it. I know everybody thinks that never happens. Yeah. It happened at least once, yeah. and that's exactly how this uh, came together. Uh, and the they struggled with Anthony Harvey, the director, uh, so greatly. Anthony Harvey was famous for directing The Lion in Winter, which, as you may have gathered, is not a very funny movie. Yeah. So the darker comedic aspects of this story didn't come through. Martin, as a result, took the film back, because he was also producer, and recut it into what uh, Leonard Malton, in his book, acknowledges is the only, in Hollywood's only ever writer's cut. No other film has ever had a writer's cut. That's really interesting. That, so he took it away from the director and created a writer's cut. And um, I've seen them both. I've seen them both uh, several times. And I will tell you, Martin's cut is better. Mm. It is significantly better. Uh, unfortunately, it is not available on DVD or Blu-ray, which I am going to try and remedy uh, posthumously. I know Martin always wanted it to come out on Blu-ray um, while he was still alive and didn't live to see it. But... Um, it belongs out there. They should both be out there to, uh, for, for history's sake, for comparison's sake. So Grace Quigley is out, but the Martin Zweibach writer's cut, known as The Ultimate Solution of Grace Quigley, is not out. Hopefully not too long. Uh, also from Kino, we have The uh, Champagne Murders from Claude Chabrol. I have done a gob of audio commentaries for Claude Chabrol movies on uh, DVD and Blu-ray, mm. and uh, I'm not sad that I didn't do this one, because uh, I wouldn't have known what else to say. You wind up basically saying the same thing over and over for Claude Chabrol movies. They're all cool. They all just kind of do the same thing over and over in, in very different ways. What's interesting about the Champagne Murders uh, is it has Anthony Perkins in it, and Anthony Perkins is doing this in 1967 coming right off of Psycho, and uh, what, a, what a what great casting it is. It's really, really very clever. Um, the, uh, the, it's, a, it's a fairly complicated thriller, and I won't get into all the ins and outs of it. Just got to know that it is a Claude Chabrol movie in every conceivable way, mm. and it really, really does surprise you uh, several times. Stefano Dran is in it. She's wonderful as always, and uh, check it out. The Champagne Murders, a very, very uh, a de- pretty decent transfer. A bunch of uh, other European titles from Kino this month, one of which is the 1945 film Dead of Night, 
which is an Ely, a, a really unusual Ealing Studios movie that I had never seen before. has an audio commentary from Tim Lucas that is great and really, really informative. This is a beautiful 4K restoration. The black and whites are tremendous. And there's also a documentary on here called Remembering Dead of Night. Um, in any case, it is, uh, it, it, I, I've always heard about this. Uh, in various things, so I'd never really watched it, and uh, it is uh, it is a really really interesting movie. Uh, very um, directed by Charles Crichton, who of course is most famous recently in, in recent decades for directing A Fish Called Wanda, mm. but did many other cool Ealing movies before that. And uh, this is a uh, this is a little bit like an Agatha Christie thing, uh, where you've got a bunch of strange people who come together at this opulent uh, estate and um, share very chilling accounts, uh, very chilling stories, which all kind of lead in um, into an interest, let's just say, which, which lead to some unexpected twists and turns going forward. Uh, really, a, a, really a very, very sharp film. This is the complete uncut uh, original UK version uh, it was named something else in the U.S., the title of which skips me, but what a great cast. Michael Redgrave, Googie Withers, um, uh, Sally Ann Howes, really a, really a, a terrific film. Alphaville, Jean-Luc Godard's Alphaville. I hate this movie, uh, but it is, look, you know, it was out previously on DVD from Criterion. It's out on Blu-ray now through Kino. Uh, it's uh, Godard's attempt at making a science fiction film. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I, do you get this film? Does this? Eh, has, it's yeah. not at the top. You know, I, I, I like him Goudard better than you, but that's yeah. not at the top of my. Look, it's not Raoul Coutard, the legendary French uh, New Wave cinematographer. He shot it. It looks gorgeous. Uh, Anna Karina, his then wife, is in it, as she was with everything else he was making at the time. But I, I this, this whole kind of uh, futuristic, low budget uh, science fiction noir that is clearly not taking place in any kind of the future doesn't make sense. It's just, it's just, it's lame. But um, that said, Eddie Constantine, who plays the noirish detective in it, is really very convincing, and I wish he were in a better movie. Gosh, that movie annoys me. It's just so, ir- the computer irritates me. The whole thing is just, just grates on me. Uh, Jean-Pierre Melville's very famous Bob Le Flambeur. Uh, famous, famous uh, Melville crime film. Beautifully restored in 4K. This is just absolutely fantastic. Really, really great gangster film. Uh, all you know, this is this is Melville in his prime. Really, really, really killing it. And the uh, the just nasty, nasty underworld that he depicts at the time, uh, centered around the a heist of the casino at Deauville, is really, really superb. Uh, a very, very sharp screenplay and um, a beautifully made movie. Then we also have another Melville film. With Belmondo, Jean-Paul Belmondo, who received our LAFCA Award for Career Achievement some years ago and sat there with a woman on each arm looking very much like the Belmondo of Yeah, I was going to say, looking like Jean-Paul Belmondo. It was was great. Uh, This is Léon Morin Priest, based on a very famous novel by Beatrix Beck. Uh, A little bit of an unusual Melville movie. Again, this one is also restored in 4K, and it is the complete original 128-minute director's cut, which has never been released previously here. Um, This this has a very, very young Belmondo uh, as a priest who is... um, is, He is... uh, 
in, in the Germans, the Nazis have occupied the village that he's a priest in, and uh, he has a, a let's just say a, a a a there's there's heat between he and another woman in the village. Mm. So you have this very difficult um, religious sexual conundrum set against occupied uh, France during World War II, and uh, where. All of that leads is also very, very interesting. Um, it's a really sharp film. It's it's a it's unusual territory for Melville, but it's a it's a it's really really good. Uh, and then we get more Belmondo and Melville in Le Doulot, which is one of my favorite all time Melville movies. Uh, Le Doulot is absolutely just uh, superb. Uh, the this is one of his uh, one of Belmondo plays one of his best ever characters here. He's uh, he's just one of the coolest gangsters ever. And uh, you you don't really know where his head is. He's like the Hamlet of gangsters, and you're trying to figure him out psychologically through most of this movie. And um, there's you know nothing goes right, and there are all kinds of uh, it really noirish twists and turns and crisscrossed loyalties, and uh, it's it's it never lets go. This thing just grabs you by the jugular, and uh, it never takes you in places you expect. And Belmondo is this is kind of the film that established him. Not as it, it really kind of he, he earned his tough guy bona fides with this one. Uh, the last two are uh, are movies that are probably a little less well known here, but they're really well known in France. And they're two of these, you know, Belmondo went from making serious movies with uh, Melville to making pretty much just kind of throwaway action movies. He mm. became like the French action star of his day, the you know, like like Schwarzenegger was in the 80s. Yeah. Um, one is The Outsider, which is a Jacques Duray film. The other one is, is uh, Le Professionnel, with, uh, uh, directed by George Lautner. Um, look, both of these are just, you know, it's uh, Charles Bronson is the better analogy. The movies Charles Bronson made in the 80s, that's what Belmondo started doing in the 1980s. He was, the, he was like the French Bronson. Uh, the only thing that makes The Outsider interesting is that Henry Silva also shows up because they needed a heavy. They yeah. needed a heavy from Hollywood. And, and he, he was one of the heaviest. He brought the heavy. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, then, you know, Le Professionnel, he's getting a little more grizzled. He's getting on in age. And it's almost like a Dirty Harry movie, really. Uh, that's This is just, you know, it's just straight-up action stuff. Neither of these are particularly great, but if you love Belmondo, you'll love them. Ah, so a few more from over here. From Scream Factory, Leopard Man, uh, Jacques Chonier, but of course the wonderful Val Luton producing the yeah. body uh, invasion of the body snatches and all that, uh, Jacques, uh, sure. uh, the cat people. Uh, Leopard Man is one of the first American films to deal with the, uh, the issue, the suggestion of a serial killer, of a thing called a serial Killer. Uh, ostensibly, there's this uh, uh, a wild uh, leopard. I think it was, yeah, obviously, it was a leopard that escapes from a uh, from a zoo uh, in, in conjunction with this, this series of murders. And the question becomes, who's doing out all the actual killing here? Uh, Dennis O'Keefe uh, in the film. This was a sharp movie uh, that I rather enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, just well done. It's kind of kitschy looking, but it actually sort of holds up. A uh, new 4K scan here of original material and an audio commentary with the f uh, filmmaker historian Constantine Constantine Nassar. Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of neat. There, uh, the boys, uh, the Kaufman boys, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz over there. Trauma, still doing it. Uh, uh, back in 2010, they released a Slime. Did they, did they go back to the late 60s oh, or the early 70s guys? You know, like, yeah. Poxy Avenger and all those kind yeah. of guys. You know. 
Um, we always talk about Roger Corman and, and the filmmakers that Roger turned out over the years. I imagine Lloyd. Actually, Lloyd didn't. Lloyd didn't really turn out any filmmakers over the years. A lot of folks got a chance to direct <laughs> for Lloyd. Yeah. But I can't think of anybody who made who turned the corner mm. uh, after directing one of these. Uh, you know, if, 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 if I'm wrong, somebody will let me know. Nevertheless, uh, Lloyd and uh, and Michael Hertz made a whole lot of these absolutely ridiculously bad <laughs> movies uh, that that people enjoyed for the for, for I don't know whatever it is they brought uh, here. We have a lot of extras, including an introduction by Lloyd himself and the director and cast audio commentaries as they always have on his films and bloopers from Slimed as well as some deleted scenes. Slimed from 2010. Uh, the Universal from uh, from the good folks over at Screen Factory, the Universal Horror Collection Volume Two, here, uh, which includes Murders in the Zoo, The Mad Doctor, Market Street, Lionel Atwell in that film, uh, The Strange Case of Doctor X, Lionel Atwell also in that film, and uh, The Mad Ghoul. Uh, look, these films are all uh, you know fun sort of kitschy horror films from uh, the early 30s through the 40s. Uh, yeah, through about 1943. There, yeah, The Mad Ghoul was 1943. Um, uh, some of them feature. Let's see, The Mad Ghoul features an audio commentary track with the filmmaker, with the filmmaker and historian Thomas Reeder. Uh, special features on the strange case of Doctor R includes a Lionel Atwell featurette, which is sort of an interesting thing. A still gallery on the Mad Doctor of Market Street and an audio commentary uh, by film historian and author Gregory William Mank for Murders in the Zoo. Uh, these are these are all you know not not top line sort of Universal horror films, but they're creepy enough, and you can never get enough of Lionel Atwell if you ask me. And the last one I have over here, uh, and this is weird because I actually did the junket for this film. I remember I specifically doing the I junket know. for this film. <laughs> Turbo, a Power Rangers uh, movie, 1997. Yeah. It's just a really terrible Power Rangers movie from the folks over at Saban. David Winning and Suki Levy uh, directed this movie. It took two people to direct this perfectly ridiculous movie. I won't lie. I was, a, I was a fan of the Power Rangers, particularly the Pink Ranger. In the uh, middle 90s, yeah, uh, something like that, the television show, The Pink Rangers, I always had an issue with them. It was a big thing ar around town that the Saban and thus the Power Rangers were not union. This was, this was not a union production company. The Power Rangers, uh, were, they were not union actors. So for years, all of those Power Rangers and all the actors that you saw in those Power Rangers cartoons and yeah. eventually bad movies like this 1997 film were not SAG actors because had they whenever they became SAG actors, yeah. He, he would fire them. Oh, crazy! Because he didn't want he didn't he didn't like the oh union. Oh my he didn't gosh! Like the union. Can't get away with it today. Nevertheless, Power Rangers. I think there was a Power Rangers movie. What two or three years ago? Just last year. Was that last year? Yeah, it was last year. Oh my goodness! Yeah, they keep trying to. Everybody wants a franchise that yeah. merchandises. You know what? Don't do that. Make make like classic Hollywood movies. And boy, I've got three great ones here. Also from Kino. Uh, the first one is from 1934. Death takes a holiday. Um, this is based on a play by Alberto Casella at the time, as many early sound, early talkies were based on plays. They wanted, you know, because it had dialogue. The dialogue was already written. Mm -hmm. We don't want to write a new movie. It was a successful play. Movies can talk. Let's, you know, it's easy marketing. Uh, that's how they franchised things back then with their IP. Frederick March basically plays the Grim Reaper, who has decided he wants to know what it's like to be a person and takes a three-day holiday to become a mortal person and experience what, you know, the, what life has to offer, the thing that he takes away from people. What is that all about? Yeah. Uh, really a, quite a wonderful film, very influential film because it was remade as Meet Joe Black, a two-and-a-half-hour Brad Pitt vehicle directed by Martin Brest, who has not directed a decent film since. Kind of ended Martin Brest's career. However, 
uh, I think Meet Joe Black is an underrated movie. Anthony mm. Hopkins in it. I think it's a, a, a it's a different movie, but uh, it's interesting to see how Death Takes a Holiday evolved into that. Previously, the only way you could see Death Takes a Holiday was to buy Meet Joe Black on yeah. DVD because yeah. it was an extra. It was an extra yeah. So now we've got a Blu-ray of Death Takes a Holiday all by itself with Frederick March, a wonderful, wonderful actor who dominated the Academy Awards um, Best Actor um, race in the early years. And uh, what a what a sensational uh, performance he turns in here. It's really, really great. So that is uh, Death Takes a Holiday with Frederick March. And then uh, that also has a really cool audio, uh, uh, audio commentary by Kat Ellinger, who does a lot of these, and uh, it's really very, very informative. Easy Living with Ray, Mar- Ray Milland is a Mitchell Leeson movie. Mitchell Leeson was a very, very sharp uh, director in his day as well in the 1930s. And uh, this is a terrific screwball comedy written by Preston Surges with uh, Gene Arthur in absolutely peak form, Ray Milland uh, keeping up with her every single step of the way. And uh, it's, it's one of those um, Depression-era things that deals very specifically with wealth. And it's, uh, it's sort of the... Um, uh, what does wealth do to you? You know, Jean Arthur is uh, just a regular woman, and suddenly money has money just dropped right on top of her. And uh, what? Where does that go? And how does this impact your relationships and your life? And anyway, it's uh, the it, it's it's really really very very fun. The dialogue is terrific. Uh, the staging is just absolutely superb. Might even be Mitchell Leeson's best film. And then more Jean Arthur. This time, for Billy Wilder, it doesn't get any better. A Foreign Affair is, uh, from 1948, one of the the most delightful Billy Wilder films of the day, just two years before he did uh, Sunset Boulevard. And this all takes place in in Berlin, where Gene Arthur, as a congresswoman, how progressive is that in 1948, Gene Arthur playing a a lady congresswoman, she goes to Berlin to basically see how the American troops are doing in the, in the post-war environment, and it is absolutely bananas what's going on over there. Uh, you know, among other things, there's this military man who's having an affair with Marlena Dietrich, and Marlena Dietrich and Gene Arthur in the same movie is like, I can't even handle it. For Billy Wilder, it's just too much. Uh, so it is, uh, it's really fun. It's just great all the way through and uh, has some just wonderful supporting parts as well. Now, more recent movies from Kino include Lawrence Kasdan's Mumford, which I'm partial to because I think Zoe Deschanel is wonderful in it. Yeah. Um, did, did that break her career? Uh, did that yeah, start? Or did, it was it a, near no, the top. Uh, I think Big Trouble was the yeah, one that really true. broke her yeah. in. But Mumford, she's particularly wonderful in. It's not considered one of Lawrence Kasdan's best films. It, it was kind of criticized at the time. But I think uh, I, th- I do think there's a lot of really, really good stuff in it. I, I, you know, yeah, that film was meant to make Lauren Dean a movie star. Didn't, I that know. Didn't it work didn't out. work out. But as a, as a kind of a portrait of an eccentric bunch of people in a small town, uh, and you know the the things that go on. I, I I just think there are a lot of really interesting edges to it. Uh, it includes an interview with Caston and a featurette, no fe- uh, no commentary, which I would have appreciated. Uh, Jefferson in Paris, James Ivory film. This is a Merchant Ivory film that's all about the years that uh, Thomas Jefferson spent uh, in Paris uh, before he was president. Um, and uh, you know his his diplomatic efforts in Paris and the the and it and it deals with Sally Hemings 
Yeah. Deals with the whole Sally Hemings thing very, very subtly, um, you know, but uh, it deals with it nonetheless. With, we, with we have a friend that wrote a... Uh, yes, uh, Tina. Tina wrote the TV miniseries ah, on Sally Hemings. Ah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but this, this one dealt with it. And I remember Tina, I, I don't think Tina was all that fond of the way that it did. I think she thought it pulled its punches. And it kind of does. Tandy Newton plays um, Sally Hemings in one of her very, very first roles. Here's the thing that's interesting about this. This is being released by Kino. Mm. This is a Disney library film. Oh. Because after Remains of the Day, uh, Merchant Ivory signed a multi-picture deal with Disney. With Touchstone. Oh, oh, Touchstone. And, and it never panned out beyond one film. The, it only led to one film. The rest of the deal never panned out. They, they terminated the deal. I think Scorsese had a similar falling out with Disney at the time. Uh, and uh, this is the only Disney film that Merchant Ivory ever wound up making. So they, uh, so Kino licensed this from Disney. Disney's got no interest in releasing yeah. Par- uh, Jefferson in Paris. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, it's got an audio commentary with James Ivory, which is really very, very good and very interesting and worth... Uh, it's not one of the best Merchant Ivory films. It's a little clunky. Nick Nolte is not a great Jefferson. Believe me, he tries hard. Not a great performance from Nick Nolte. But as an oddity in the, in the Merchant Ivory canon, it is worth checking out. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was in Tough Turf. Did you know that? Oh, I think I did. I had forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I'm going to share a little story here. I was with my friend Lou... Lou's going to never listen to the podcast, so who cares? I'm not sharing this. <laughs> so I'm with my friend Lou in his souped-up Honda Prelude sometime <laughs> around Tough Turf. And we're uh, just kind of cruising around Westwood. And there we see a Porsche 924, a red Porsche 924, <gasps> being driven by Kim Richards uh. with her sister Kyle Richards in the passenger seat. And being the dorks that we were... <laughs> My first words to Lou were, follow them. (laughs) And so for the next 40 minutes, we stalked Kim and Kyle Richards in Westwood. (gasps) Perfectly reasonable in that year. They they just drove around, and they went to a store, and then we pull over in the red. (gasps) Then they come out of a store, and they get in again. Then they, you know, it it was the most ridiculous (laughs) thing I've ever done in my life. Absolutely, like what? What did we think was going to happen? Boys, anyway, boys, boys. so um, Kim Richards is absolutely delicious. Uh, Mark's not here to say that, so I will. I love Kim Richards. I was had a crush on Kim Richards ever since I was a kid from Escape to Witch Mountain, yeah. all the way into into the teen years. So, uh, so she is. This is the film that turned that made uh, uh, that made uh, James Spader. Yeah. And yet we forget that Robert Downey Jr. is yeah, in this movie, movie, too. All the movies that he showed up in early on, like Back to School, and he was in the back of everything for a while. Uh, and I went, to, I went to high school with Robert Downey Jr. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I connect to this movie. I like Tough Turf. Is it silly? Of course it's silly. It's, you know, it's, it's a movie that would have been made in the, in the 1960s. It would have been a, John D- a James Dean movie in the 1960s. It's a silly, you know, guy against the toughs and wants the girl and blah blah blah. It's a little bit of uh, of what uh, uh, what Walter Hill did in Streets of Fire too. But nonetheless, Tough Turf, T U F F, still a fun, a fun kitschy movie from the past. Kim, Kim, Kim was in a Sharknado. She was. That's yeah, right. and yeah. Uh, I don't know about ten years ago. I remember because I, I did the the junket for a remake of Witch Mountain. Yeah. Uh, in Vegas, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson, the sure. Rock, he's still the sure. Rock at the time, and, and, and Kim is actually in that. Uh, so I remember talking to her, yeah, that's like 10 years ago. So, yeah. Crazy. So, yeah, yeah. Hang well, in there. Well, got another Billy Wilder movie, the front page, remake of the original Ben Hecht front page. Uh, this one directed by Billy Wilder in 1974. 
with uh, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. And it was really just an excuse to for a director in declining years and a couple of actors who are sort of on the wane. Um, let's pull the guys from The Odd Couple back and let Billy Wilder remake the front page with the guys from The Odd Couple. That was the pitch. In 1974, this feels like too little too late, a little bit too much slathered on material that worked well the first time. It is nonetheless a an interesting film, uh, and a better film in this case because Michael Schlesinger, our friend Michael, who's been interviewed on this show, uh, does the audio commentary with Mark Avanier, and uh, it's a really, really good one. Michael just uh, knows more about this material than anybody else in the in the universe, so it is a superb audio commentary. And there's also uh, an interview with uh, Billy Wilder's assistant, uh, Rex McGee, and the first assistant director, Howard Kazanjian, mm. who would go on to produce Star Wars oh. and The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. I had not known that. So uh, that is really, really interesting as well. And then there is Target Harry. What a weird movie. This is a Roger Corman movie that wants to be a Hitchcock movie. It wants to be the man who knew too much, basically. And what an unusual movie and a great cast. Uh, it's thrown together. It's not a terribly good script by Bob Barbash, but Corman really tries hard to make it a better movie than it has any business being. This is a new 2K restoration of this. And basically, Vic Morrow is a pilot who winds up falling in, like in Hitchcockian style, into a whole kind of a... Um, uh, like there's a there's a uh, a heist, uh, that uh, a Bank of England currency scam that he winds up getting embroiled in, and uh, everybody's after him, and you know the mob and the 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 police, and you know it's got some great locations here. But what's really interesting is, that in addition to Vic Morrow playing this guy, and he's a little bit miscast, the rest of the cast is amazing. Suzanne Plachet basically plays the femme fatale, terrific. Love Suzanne Plachette, especially when she's not in a sitcom. Um, Cesar Romero shows up in this thing. Uh, uh, Stanley Holloway from My Fair Lady shows up in this thing. Michael and Sarah. Charlotte Rampling. Michael and Sarah at the time was married to Jeannie, let's remember, and he was showing up on Star mm -hmm, Trek playing mm -hmm, Klingons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, you know who edited this? Hmm. Monty Hellman. Oh, really? Well, crazy, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like you look at this and you're like, oh, wow, there's a, this is a really interesting movie just in terms of everybody who's in it and worked on it, even if it's not perfectly successful. It's called Target Harry. It's worth checking out. What it's year a, is that? That is 1969, baby. 69, okay. 69, yeah. the yeah. year that Once Upon a Time Never in Hollywood, Hollywood takes place. <laughs> this may even be on a marquee in the backdrop somewhere. Uh, Leo could have been playing Vic Morrow. I'm telling or you. A Vic, or or now, a Vic Morrow-esque character. I'm going to go see the movie again, and I'm going to see if there isn't a, a, a marquee in the background showing this playing at a theater somewhere. Yeah, I'll yeah. bet you there is. Vic Morrow's life on the yeah, combat television uh, series, yeah. Vic Morrow. Yeah. Of who, course, who died we, on Twilight Zone. You were doing the Twilight Zone yeah. in the early 80s. That's why I was wondering yep. what year that yep. was. So it was about, yep. about 10 years later. Yep. Uh, from our good folks, from the good folks, so our friends over at Cohen, the Cohen Film Collector, the bus Keaton Collection, Volume 2. Uh, two films here, Sherlock Jr. and The Navigator. Yep, uh, beautiful. Com completely, uh, uh, complete restorations uh, with the new orchestrations, score orchestrations. These movies are just beautiful movies. Beautiful. Uh, Buster with that deadpan face is yep. just wonderful. Some of the most extravagant pratfalls and stunts laid out, uh, meticulously laid out, almost Jackie Chan style. Uh, yeah, I think Jackie credits Buster with a good deal of that yep. early work that he used to do, as a matter of fact. Uh, um, uh, and, and lots and lots and lots of special fe features here. 1924 comedies, both released the same year. Uh, uh, Sherlock Jr. and The Navigator. Wonderful, wonderful films. 
Um, there's a guy who used to hire me to doctor to doctor scripts for him, named Andy Sedaris. Yeah, uh, way, way, way back in the day, Doctor Script for him and Peter Mahal, yeah, all, all these guys, and they, they were making these really terrible movies. You could always <laughs> tell they're movies uh, because they would generally speaking be uh, some really sort of busty blondes on the cover holding guns uh, or swords uh, or something else to kill uh, some men with, and maybe there'd be a, a guy or two. A couple, of, a lot of, a lot of interesting people went through Andy's movies. The interesting thing about Andy, Andy came into the business. Uh, as the director of sports stuff, he did like a, he did like a ABC Wide World of Sports and and, uh, and NFL games and, he- and big heavyweight championship fights. I think I think he I think he directed the the Ali versus uh, uh, Bonavina fight way back oh, in the wow. nineties. Uh, and then he sort of like inched his way over into episodic television, knocked out a couple of Kojaks, uh, some Hardy Boy mysteries. And the next thing you know, by the time you get to about nineteen seventy nine or so, he's 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 in L.A. He's got enough stature to start pulling together these movies. And man, he knocked them out by the handful uh, in the early nineties. Uh, I would get these scripts delivered by delivery services, like like they did by then. Uh, and he would send a note describing what uh, stock footage they had of things blowing up uh, or people shooting things. Usually, it would be stock footage from some other movie he had made. I mean, it's an old story. Uh, but and he would tell me, uh, I need about sixty minutes to wrap around these forty minutes <laughs> of things. Wow! Going. And I would write, and I would, I would just, I would doctor some scripts, or I would write some stuff up. But that's all. That's all <laughs> I was doing. I did that, did that for years for him. Got my, got my, uh, got my writers guild card. Yeah. Uh, doing that for him. This is, this is Picasso Trigger, uh, in Savage Beauty, and on Savage Beauty, yep, uh, a couple of bleach blondes would. Oddly enough, an out- outfits that are back in chic today, <laughs> from, from, from the, and now they're not so crazy looking at all. Weird Science, uh, 1985. Can't do this movie today. Cannot make this movie today. <laughs> not a thought in this movie can actually no. be rendered to film today. No. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall, uh, Ian, Ian Michael Smith, uh, make themselves a woman. That <laughs> 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 they could have run just around. You're saying that. <laughs> just you're just gonna build, saying that. Gonna well, they put in a pair of panties and a t shirt with no bra. That's pretty much Kelly LeBrock for the whole damn movie. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, 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 it's a little bit more. Look, it is, in fact, uh, that obnoxious. But the idea here is that these boys. It's, fan- to learn it's, 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 it's male fantasy it's male fulfillment. Fantasy stuff. Yeah. The wonderful late Bill Paxson playing Chet in this movie. Bill had been in the first Terminator film. He's one of those uh, punks that, uh, that, that, that uh, try to take Arnold's, uh, well, to try to kill Arnold when he first arrives. Bill Paxson's one of those guys. Uh, but this was the movie that made Bill Paxson's career, playing Chet, the brother of Ian Michael Smith's uh, character in this movie. Uh, and, you know, Kelly LeBrock, who was a bit of a something, who was a bit of something for a while there. You know, they had a lead, yeah. little lead, uh, the, um, uh, the Woman in Red, yeah. uh, Gene Wilder movie, and then she made a couple of movies with her husband, uh, Steven Seagal, and then that went ugly, and uh, yeah. she, she kind of went away. This uh, copy of Weird Science is just packed with all sorts of special features. You might as well get it now. John Hughes film, if you don't remember. Um, um, so, you know, John has kind of taken it on the chin in, yeah. in, in, the, in the last, I don't know, decade or so, certainly yeah. since he passed away. For some of the content in films like Breakfast Club, insensitive to young women and all that kind of stuff. I don't think John had an insensitive bone in his body. He was simply a person of a particular time. John was 30 years older than these people. He was writing these comedies that were meant to enfranchise young people. Valley Girls is meant to enfranchise And they're about a particular generation at a point in time. And and they correctly depicted that generation. My generation. Robert Downey Jr. in this one, too. Yep. And we're going to go out with Mothra, the uh, a, a steelbook from Mill Creek. 
Uh, you know what? I don't know who it was that, that was that, that was so relentlessly using LSD when they were making uh, Godzilla movies that, that said a giant moth would be cool. Somehow, there it is, a giant moth, <laughs> and it is Mothra. And uh, the, the, you know, the Mothra movies are just bizarre. The, uh, so the original Mothra with uh, both the original Japanese cut and the American cut. The Japanese cut has an extra 11 minutes that do not necessarily make it a better movie. <laughs> it doesn't make just makes different. it a longer movie. Just makes it a longer movie. But it's interesting. There's also an audio commentary on here with um, uh, sci-fi historians, specifically on Japanese films. Um, and you know what? It's just a wacky movie. It's a steel book, so it's never gonna it'll it'll survive uh, Mothra himself <laughs> <laughs> or herself. I don't think I know the gender of Mothra, uh, but uh, wow, what a wild trip it is! And especially with Criterion once again announcing that uh, the entire original run of Godzilla movies will constitute number one thousand in the Criterion line, and that was uh, quite an announcement. So. With that, uh, we are done this week. Hopefully, we don't come back with any crazy obits. A lot of people have been dying this year. Yeah, and, man, uh, man, oh, man. You know, it's another one of those years, but on it goes. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.